Would you please pray with me? Lord, we're grateful for this day and grateful for this season of the year where we can be reminded, because we are so forgetful, that you have come for us and we to take a season of preparation to remember of the great rescue you've given to us in Jesus, but also, Lord, to remind us that you are coming again. Lord, I pray that as we look at this word and we look at your return to reign, that you would speak a new truth to each and every one of our hearts so that, Lord, we would be transformed for your purpose and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, I've discovered over the past couple of years, people are all kinds of filled with great advice, you know. You know, things, people said things. You know, the best things in life aren't things. Most of the things you worry about never happen. The future belonged to the few of us who are willing to get our hands dirty. Work hard. Be nice to people. Those we meet and get to know change us. Put down the screen. Get to know somebody. Go outside. Meet someone. Know the difference between success and fame. Success is Mother Teresa. Fame is Justin Bieber. Hold your wife's hand at Crocker Park. If you don't, she'll go in and shop. Hey. Yeah, advice is out there, isn't it? But not all advice is equal and, and helpful. And what we're going to do over this season, my friends, I think is from the Lord, through his word, is to get some really good advice starting today. We're in the season of Advent, and from now to December 24th, you'll see a flavor of repentance and preparation throughout our services, not only in the liturgy, but in our readings and what have you. And so this year, in order to assist us with this, we're going to camp in Luke for the whole year using the lectionary reading. So we're going to cover about 90% of Luke. And so for those of you who go, well, what about the other 10%? We're not going to read. I'm going to say, well, you'll catch that in Matthew and Mark. Because in the Mark readings and the Matthew readings that aren't covered in Luke are covered in the other years of the lectionary. So hang with me. Yeah, I do series preaching. I do whole books preaching. But believe me, in the next 19 years, all right, I'll cover those texts as well, all right? You know, just, 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 just hang with me, all right? We're on a journey together. And so we're going to be in Luke's gospel, except for those, that time in Easter. Because Luke, in his gospel, goes from the resurrection to the ascension. But there's 40 days between the resurrection and the ascension. So what happened? Ah, John covers those 40 days. So we'll be in Easter time after Resurrection Sunday in John up until the Ascension where we'll cover Luke, all right? So we're going to, for 46 Sundays, we're going to be in Luke throughout this year. So I encourage you to join me in opening up your Bibles to Luke chapter 21. I had Bob read chapter 1, 1 through 4 first, and we'll do that throughout Advent just to remind us why we're doing this. 
Luke is a Gentile physician from Antioch, my friends. He wrote this in approximately 62 AD. He was not an eyewitness to the resurrection. He was not one of the original disciples. He was a partner with Paul, who told him all about it, who had met the disciples, who had spoken all about it. And obviously, Luke had interviewed some of the eyewitnesses. And he had a patron named Theophilus, both in Luke and Acts, for he wrote Acts 2. We met Luke originally in our journey through Acts in 2011. Goes by fast, doesn't it? You might remember our journey through Acts. I chose Acts to do Acts that year, a year and a half before we lost our building. And what we learned through the book of Acts is the church is not a building. Okay? We are the church. It just happens to be where we meet on Sundays. And we can meet here, in a shed, anywhere the Lord calls us to. And so the reality is, I like this place. You know, and this is good. We believe the Lord is leading us to purchase it when Anchor is ready. And so you hear about that in the new year. But the reality is, that's what Luke taught us through the book of Acts. What's he going to teach us here? You'll find in verse 4, I write these things to you, O most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty of the things you have been taught. In other words, that you may know the truth. Luke writes with that agenda throughout, and so we're going to see that theme throughout it. Not only that you may know the truth, but there's other themes that Luke wants to get across to the reader, not only in the first century, but today in the 21st century, 2,000 years later. And so, the first Sunday of Advent is Hope Sunday. And the greatest hope we have, my friends, is that the world, with all its advice, and all its issues, and all the things that are wrong with it, are one day going to be made right in our Lord's second coming, His second Advent. And that's what Bob read for us in chapter 21. And so, in turning to the chapter 21, what we're going to see our Lord do is to talk about His certain return when he's going to return, and some advice how to live in light of those realities, okay? His certain return, okay? His when he'll return, and three, advice of how to live in light of that return. Let's look at his certain return. I can imagine he's on the Mount of Olives. This whole section is called the Mount of Olives Discourse. He's teaching his disciples. He's, he's told them some hard truths. He told them that this temple that they love, that they've worshipped in, is going to be destroyed within their lifetime. Um, that nation will rise against nation. In other words, Rome's going to come and invade. And then he talks about his second coming in this, this section of Luke. So regarding his first return, I imagine he's looking up at the temple as he's talking because there's the Mount of Olives, and there's the Valley of Kidron, and then there's Mount Zion, which the temple sits on in Jerusalem. And I imagine he's looking up at the temple even beyond with these words. And as he says, verse 25, And there will be signs, and sun, and moon, and stars, and on the earth, distress of nations and perplexity, because of the roaring of the seas and of the waves, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming for the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. 
Virtually everything he said in those three verses is from the Old Testament. Did you know that? All of it. From Ezekiel to Isaiah 13 to Haggai 2, and particularly Joel 32, 30 and 31, I will show you wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And this is echoed also in Revelation 8 and 2 Peter 3. You see, what Jesus is talking about, right before he comes, there will be signs, unnatural disasters, quakes in the heavens, earthly catastrophes that we've never seen, my friends, we've never observed. Tidal disturbances, chaos, is all part of his return. And this is apocalyptic language, meant to get our attention, because it's a violent change of the natural order and in human life, and the world will respond with apprehension and great despair. So what does he say there? He says, but you, now when these things, verse 28, now when these things begin to take place, straighten up, raise your heads, your redemption is coming. Because Fox News and MSNBC and CBS, ABC, NBC are going to be going, the world is coming to an end. And we're going to say, our redemption is coming near. Okay? Now, I know some of you guys watch Fox News and MSNBC. You know? I want you to watch the news. Go ahead. We should be informed. But we ground it in the reality of God's word. Because there's all kind of predictors out there, right? People saying, he's Coming soon. And yeah, there's more hurricanes than there have been. There have. But there's less earthquakes. Okay? And if earthquakes are a sign and there's less of them now, I don't think he's coming. All right? I mean, don't get into the predicting. Just we will start, his followers will begin to know something is unnatural in this chaos. Straighten up. Can you raise your head? Perhaps he's coming soon. Come, Lord Jesus. All right? That's the believer's posture. And so amidst that universal confusion, notice what Jesus says. He says that the day his, uh, his, his coming, he will come, the, verse 27, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. My friends, he's quoting Daniel 7 and he's identifying himself as the Son of Man who will return. The Ancient of Days has given the Son of Man ultimate authority. We read that text last week on Christ the King Sunday and it was so applicable. Can you see now why it's, it's the wisdom of the early church? This has been going on since 380 A.D. All right, Christ the King Sunday, Advent. All right, that, the, that you don't go into Advent without recognizing him as your Savior and King. Because if you're not, and you read this text, you might think you're up the creek without a paddle. And the church doesn't want you to be up the creek without a paddle. This is good news. Your redemption is coming near because when he comes, he's coming for his people. And he's going to have a new heaven and a new earth. And what will happen, it will be a physical eternity with Jesus and with one another 
throughout the last 2,000 years, 3,000 years. I don't know when he's coming back. But the point is, this is good news, and I'll look 30 again. I'll have hair, and my knee will be feel good, and I won't need these things. Okay, and neither will you. And we'll live with the Lord forever. And what Jesus is trying to get across to us, as surely as he stood on the Mount of Olives, as sure as he was crucified on Calvary, as sure as he was raised on Resurrection Sunday, as sure as he ascended 40 days later, as sure as the Holy Spirit descended upon the church at Pentecost, one day he will return. At that time, he will not return as a baby, meek and lowly. He will return as the Son of Man descending on the heavens, from the heavens. Then he will not come riding on a donkey. He will come in the clouds, symbolic of a Roman chariot, an ancient symbol, the symbolic carriage of God. Then he won't send his friends out in advance to get a, some kind of animal for him to ride. His advance warning will be the cosmic signs that he has spoken of. And when he comes, he comes in the blink of an eye. His people will be ready. So let us sit up, stay awake, be prepared. Come, Lord Jesus, and be about the work of the gospel. So we sing great hymns. At the end of our service, we're going to sing that great Wesley hymn. Lo, he comes with clouds descending. Once for our salvation slain, thousand, thousand saints attending, swell the triumph of his train. Alleluia, alleluia. Alleluia, Christ the Lord appears to reign, reign. He's going to be Lord, and the choice will be over. We've had a choice in this life. Let's repent and believe. And when you believe that, and you believe what we sing, that changes you. The stuff that you think was important isn't that important anymore. And all of a sudden, we're about his work in our world. And that's our dream. That's our hope. That will be our reality. So Jesus advises us, look, now when these things begin to take place, straighten up, raise your head. Your redemption is drawing near. Right? So that's the certainty of his coming. And then he gives us a parable to talk about when he's going to come. Verse 29, he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out and leaf, you see for yourselves and know that the summer is already near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all is taken a place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words 
will not pass away. See, when these final cosmic things appear, when those things appear, then he's coming. The church will be able to recognize him. The world will wring its hands. And this began back even in the first century when the temple was destroyed in AD 70. He said, this generation will not pass away. Okay? Well, Jesus didn't return then. Right? Well, what he's saying here is this tribulation is beginning for God's people then until he returns again. And so there's a dual meaning here. All right? That the generation of the end signs will see this all fulfilled and it will be returned. And it's certainly nearer to us than it was to them. But will it happen in our lifetime? I don't know. He doesn't say the exact time when. He just says when these signs happen, guess what? It's coming. So he closes with this declaration. Because the exact time is not for us to know. We're to keep our heads up and stay alert and watch for the signs. And he says in verse 33, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. He just put himself and his words on the same plane and level as the Old Testament. So therefore, we must understand that as surely as every word spoken by Jesus concerning the destruction of Jerusalem came true in AD 70, the Roman general Titus Burn it to the ground. That the destruction of Jerusalem would come. That Jerusalem would be surrounded by armies. That they must flee those dreadful days. That they would be deported back to what we know. They got deported back to Rome. That Jerusalem would be trampled on upon by the Gentile Romans. That one stone would not be left upon another. As surely as all of that took place, so sure will his second coming take place. When? Not sure. Pay attention to the signs, because when those signs come, he's coming. So he gives us some closing advice in verses 34 to 36. But watch yourselves, lest your heart be weighed down with dissipation, drunkenness, and the cares of this life. And the day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. He's saying, don't let the cares of this world, and he lumps all the cares of the world in three categories. Dissipation, drunkenness, and the cares of the world. Hello. It's just all the cares of our lives, my friends. He's saying, don't let the cares of your life take your eyes off the prize. Don't let it weigh you down. He's going to return. So then he says, another, another phrase, stay awake. Because we tend to fall asleep. See, this call to vigilance is universal. And it's as much meant for us today as it was for the first century believers. When he issued this command from the Mount of Olives, which is the official site of his physical return, he will return right there. 
his coming will be today, next 10 years? I'm not sure. Perhaps. But when he does return, he will return to reign. And it will be glorious for all those who have placed their trust in him. First, uh, Colossians 1, 15 and 16, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth and under the earth, visible and invisible, with thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. That's who Jesus is. And therefore, we are to keep looking up and stay awake. For John closes his letter to the church with these words. Beloved, we are God's children. Now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But what we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Just by placing your hope in Jesus, you are pure clean before him. So straighten up and stay awake, my friends. How can we do that? Well, let me give you some advice. First of all, let's ask ourselves some questions. Do do our lives reflect this expectation? Do we allow the weight and cares of this world to overwhelm us to the point where we take our eyes off of the greater purposes of God in Christ and the fact that he's coming again where he will make this world right. Secondly, as you have struggles throughout this week, complaints, find yourself weighing down by the things of the world, and if that doesn't happen to you, please come talk to me. i got to learn from you. All right? We all do. Keep your head up. Stay awake. The Lord will make it right one day. You're not king. Let Bob cease to rule the world. Right? Let Sally cease to rule the world. You know? Let's put Jesus on that throne. That's what we learned last week. Right? Let him take it. Third thing is, because there's going to be a new earth, I want you to stop saying to me, I got to knock these items off my bucket list. I hate that phrase. Let me tell you why. It puts people into a consumerism. It puts them into an escapism. For people that love Cleveland so much, there are a bunch of people who aren't here all the time because they're going to here and there and here and there and here and there and they got to complete their bucket list. They tell me. And I'm like, well, you can see your bucket lift in this life. I'm going to see it in the next, in the new earth, and it'll be better than the one you're seeing now. And I'm going to put my effort and my life right here in Avon Lake and Bay and Avon and Sheffield Lake. Now, this isn't against traveling, okay? I do want to go see some things. I want to take Kimmy to Italy and Spain because that's where her family was from. She took me to cloudy England when I graduated from seminary. I put her through a whole week of clouds. It was glorious. I loved it, you know. I need to take her to the sunshine of Italy and the sunshine of Spain to make up for that debacle. You know. You know, I want to see Cheyenne Frontier Days. You know, I've been trying to get my family to go now for a couple years. 
And they're like, no, I don't want to go, Dad. I'm like, come on, man, it'll be so awesome. You know, yes, I know. But nobody wants to go with me. You know what? I'll see Wyoming in the next life if I have to. Yeah, John will go with me. can always count on John. But you know what I'm, you hear what I'm saying? Live in the present. So many places where I've served, people would say, you know, we're paying you to stay here. We're going to the beach, you know, every weekend. Live in the present. We're called to be a blessing right here. And as we love the Lord, love one another, love our community, and be a blessing to it and grow together, God can bring a great revival and renewal among us. And the bucket list will take care of itself, all right? We're all going to kick the bucket. Uh, You know, I'll let God set that agenda, okay? Let me give you some tools, so, which will help you this Advent. As you're leaving here, you'll notice printed up for you on the table right outside the door there. We've printed up two devotionals that will help you in your Bible reading and your prayer throughout this Advent. The first one is, Come, Lord Jesus, Come. Written by two guys from Providence Church in Texas. Uh, if you haven't recognized in the evangelical world, we've known it for our whole lives, Advent's a really great time of year. And this is written by these Baptists in, in Texas. And it's really good. They get it. We did their Lenten devotional a few years back. And people came to me and said, that was so good. I go, I know, Baptists, who knew? You know, you know? <laughs> they were great. You know? Well, also, another great Baptist whom I love and adore and greatly appreciate his ministry is John Piper wrote another Advent devotional called Good News of a Great Joy. I encourage you to either pick up a physical copy if you don't do it, but you can also go to our website. Our webmaster put it up there, thanks to Iris communicating through her at the last minute. I, you know, I, I throw all these things on the girls. For Iris and Sybil, you just make sure you can thank them. There's a special place in heaven for them for working for me. Trust me. All right? But we got it up on the website where you go to Advent, click on it, and there you see both of these are in PDF. You can download it to your e-reader. And it's so cool, you know, and it's just, I have found this to be a great Advent tradition, just centering myself, preparing me so that Christmas doesn't catch up to me, all right? That's the first thing, making sure you're doing that. Next thing is serve, serve this Advent, serve with us. Go caroling with us next week after the service. We go to Independence Village, we've got three or four members who are there. We'd love to have you join us for that venture. Just little things. Ring the bells with us. We're going to do it on Friday. What's the day, Iris? Four, 14th. Friday the 14th. Ring the bells with us. It'll be glorious. We hope you can come do that. Just, just do simple little acts. And let's pray that the Lord uses us throughout this time. In closing, Chuck Swindoll was the pastor about 30 years ago of Fullerton Evangelical Free Church in Fullerton, California. And there was a physician that was part of his congregation, and, and this physician told Chuck this story. He was treating a woman who was in her mid-80s, and she was in fairly good condition, and she was either still running and jogging or walking very briskly. And the doctor was concerned that she was overexerting herself. So he encouraged her to, to, to slow down and ease her physical activity. Well, she was from that generation that you just listened to your doctor. So the doctor says, stop exercising. Guess what she did? 
stop exercising. Now, I'm not saying you should not listen to your doctor. I'm not saying that at all. But, you know, that's what my mom and dad taught me, you know. Listen to your doctor. They got the MD. You don't. Which is true. But you can ask questions, too. Right? So this woman stopped. A few months later, Chuck's in the funeral home doing her funeral. And the doctor is sitting there totally dejected. And he goes, said to him, Chuck, if I could cut my tongue out, I would. I will never again give that type of advice to older people who are enjoying life as much as she was. See, if it's good advice for the body to break a sweat, it's good advice for us spiritually to break a sweat. Because we're to take up our cross and follow Jesus. So therefore, my friends, let's enter into this Advent with that posture. Seeking to know him, to grow in him, and to serve with the church through him. As we keep our heads up and stay awake. Let's pray. Lord God, we are so grateful for this day and grateful that we have it. To serve you and to follow you. Lord God, do this work in each and every one of our lives this Advent season. And if there be any of us who have yet to truly and wholeheartedly trust in you and your atoning work upon the cross, still trusting in our own righteousness rather than yours, Lord Jesus Christ, I pray that this would be the day we'd lay it aside and receive you as Savior and Lord in total. And for those of us who have received you as Savior and Lord, I ask, Lord, that we would, as our, our collect asks us to, to cast away the works of darkness and to put on the armor of light so that as we walk through this Advent, we would truly stay awake and follow you with wholehearted devotion like we never have before. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.